0: welcome to the thanks therapy podcast before we start if you are in crisis or need urgent support please google the samaritans and the country in which you live help can be found online and via the phone we also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media don't suffer alone things can and will get better enjoy the show
1: Hello, I am Dr Emma Louden And I'm Hannah Louden, And this is our Therapy Appreciation Podcast,
0: Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatise and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy.
1: Thanks Therapy, Thanks Therapy You're doing all you do Thanks
0: Therapy, Thanks Therapy you don't really know if you should go You should give it a try, it could be good for you So, Hannah, after our episode about social media and the impact on mental health, I wanted to talk more about the role of digital technology in modern mental health interventions, such as, what do you call it again? What media? is it? Therapy. Therapy? I've heard of it. Because while the pandemic has rapidly increased the amount of digital technology being used, this is not a new phenomenon. We have been engaging in online delivery of mental health services for many decades. Many decades? Yes, yes. So I thought it would be good for us to talk about. Um, We've touched on it in the past, but many people who might want to engage in therapy in the future will probably be offered some form of online or remotely delivered counselling or therapy. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Who knows? Let's discuss.
1: Is it good? Is it bad? Do we know stuff? Let's find out. Let me just say, Mm -hmm. caveat time, because you know I love caveats. You do. Nothing is all good or all bad ever (laughs) in the world. In the universe. And here at Thanks Therapy, we firmly believe that. True. But for purposes of ease and pithiness, we are introducing our discussion as such.
0: Okay. Just in
1: case anybody's feeling stressed by that introduction.
0: Yes, don't feel stressed. This is a place to relax. You know the score, babies. It's fine. Okay, so obviously in the past two years, much of the mental health provision that would have been face-to-face moved to remote delivery, reflecting the need for social distancing across all the sectors, whether or not it's been a good thing is up for debate. One thing we mentioned before on the pod, Hannah, was that I had my therapy almost completely via Zoom mm. and loved it. And you did not get on so well with Zoom.
1: Well, you began on Zoom and remained on Zoom, yes. and I began for like four years of being deeply in person and, you know, uh-huh. being able to do tactile things even. Yes. Remember tactile things? I with do. Members of them. the public. Yeah. Um And then I suddenly was rudely put on Zoom because of COVID and I was not that impressed. But recently, Emma, Mm. my relationship with that particular thing in my life has begun to change slightly. And I'll tell you about that
0: later in some depth if you would like. I would like that, yes, very much. Thank you. In the meantime, um, despite the fact that the pandemic is all cleared up now. It's finished. All done. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. Um, Online counselling and this... The things of its ilk um, <laughs> is something that's likely to continue and the biggest reason for that is it can improve access for people yeah so it's easier and cheaper to deliver online remote therapy and it can be provided to someone who isn't local so that either they don't have to travel or they can access something that they literally couldn't otherwise mm. because it's too far away to go to physically um, and relatedly then improving access and delivery could reduce waiting times which is likely to reduce morbidity as we know that people waiting for longer are likely to have more severe symptoms and difficulties when they do arrive at treatment. Yeah. So that is all great, but there are bound to be disadvantages. For example, it only improves access where it's provided. So we don't really have many statutory services like that in Northern Ireland. They might have moved online. um, Some of them might have moved online as an urgency during COVID, yeah. but they quite quickly moved back to face to face because they weren't really set up for it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a difference between something that is prepared for and able to be delivered online, and something that is like just done as an emergency yeah. measure, hastily
1: adapted to be yes. delivered remotely. Is different than designed to be
0: delivered remotely. Absolutely, yeah. So um, a lot of this stuff about digital technology comes from a, a module that I taught and the uh, mental health nursing course Mm -hmm. and those student nurses because they'd been on tons of placements and they were really really experienced they had various experiences of um, teams using um, online delivery of certain things like a zoom uh, assessment Mm -hmm. by a psychiatrist and um, you know like a little bit of an intervention or a check-in or something like that and they often had Things to say about how it was unsatisfactory, so right. they they weren't engaging with the psychiatrist that they and they maybe would have if they had have been in person. Maybe mm. they wouldn't have, but you know. So yeah. Um, so we don't necessarily have a dedicated statutory service in Northern Ireland, for example, that would do this. Um, but we do have paid for treatment, but then that raises an issue of equality of access. Yes,
1: that's a separate so, issue, almost.
0: Yeah. So there's equality issues, um, with regard to technology itself. Even so, we saw this in the homeschooling of children during the pandemic. Not all households had a laptop or a tablet or Wi-Fi or internet access. Yeah. So that children could complete their homeschooling. So there were a number of schemes which sought to improve the access to digital technology for disadvantaged households, and that could be the same for, um, online counselling and psychotherapy. And but there may be the biggest issue is that not everyone will want to have counselling or speak to their CPN via Zoom. And that's completely reasonable, that people should have a choice and a preference. Yeah. And I know for people like my parents, the option of having Zoom for some of their like committee meetings that they were doing was something that filled them with anxiety and made them very uncomfortable and stressed. Yeah, that was not easy for them. Yeah, no. And then when they did finally attempt to make that technology work, they find that it was much less satisfactory than they would have liked. So sometimes they couldn't get their own camera on or maybe they could only see the side of someone's head. Maybe someone was interrupted. Maybe someone froze <laughs> during the meeting. Um, all of that they find as evidence for how, you know, how secondary this technology should be to actual face-to-face meetings. So a lot of people will not prefer remote delivery. Yeah. Dad complained so much about trying to get into the Zoom meetings. He absolutely hated it. He was
1: irate. Yeah. I was impressed though that they were very up for trying it.
0: Yeah, they did attempt it. They yeah.
1: bought did did she buy an iPad? Was that she when did she buy bought an iPad? She went out and purchased an iPad which she still uses. Mm-hmm. I see her use it. Yeah, in a very adorable way for
0: recipes. Recipes, yeah.
1: It's much easier to read off an iPad <laughs> than to read to keep your recipe book open. But they they showed um, a remarkable uh, willingness to adapt mm-hmm. in that yeah. sense, and it, I think it said something about they knew that their um, connection to like those groups that they're a part of was it was kind of do or die at that moment. Yeah, it was absolutely. like you can get the annoying iPad, which you will complain about. And lose the charger for it, or you can lose access to these things. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's a side note that I was impressed at there. Yep. Uh, what do you call that? Adaptability. Adaptability? Mm. Yes, it becomes an additional stressor at a certain point. Mm. Um, I'm what they call a digital native, and I still find the basic inadequacies of digital delivery to be so annoying when they do happen. Yeah. Um, That they are the overwhelming thing that I think about. Even though, actually, I don't find it that hard to connect via Zoom. I don't find webcams difficult because I kind of know how to do all that stuff. Yeah. But even if someone freezes...
0: Oh, right, okay. I'm
1: immediately like, oh, my God, this is so shit. Like, <laughs> why can't it just be good? Um, And I thought, yeah, it really takes me out of... Especially in therapy, I was doing Zoom, obviously, for a good... Uh, I can't even remember now, like, a good couple of months. So that was mm-hmm. several times a month. Um. And, like, I had an extremely comfortable home, the best technology available, speedy Wi-Fi. And even then, I was like, this is just subpar. I
0: know, yeah. In a
1: technological sense. Um, And then because it's a, you know, you're in therapy, Mm -hmm. it should be a scenario where you're having natural discussion, it flows well, Mm -hmm. you can pick up another person's body language. That feels important to the whole therapy process. Mm -hmm. And that was not happening all the time yeah. I'm sure it was like 95% fine mm-hmm. but mostly what I remember is being like oh shit will it work? It probably won't my anxiety around that and then also it did I did find it it increased my feelings of loneliness post therapy session right, okay. which I've never had leaving an in person session oh, okay. I've always felt like oh okay great that was you know even if it was hard that was good to go um it's always good to attend therapy mm-hmm. that, that you know even if I was miserable and exhausted leaving mm. I was not feeling lonely and then I find a th- sort of unique experience of like being at home during the pandemic um you know this is mid 2020 when we didn't really leave our homes mm. so I would be like okay great I've got a Zoom session with my therapist brilliant and then when I closed I ended the meeting closed my laptop I'd be like oh alone again oh god, oh god. <laughs> so i think that is something that i don't know that's just something i wanted to yeah. i i hadn't really thought about that until we started talking about this episode and then yeah. i was like that was a thing
0: interesting sadness yeah. i mean i had all my therapy was on zoom and technologically in terms of like how it worked internet wise it was as you say 95% of the time okay there was a few awkward times where she froze or I froze and we just had to kind of go oh, put these feelings just mm. on hold a second and we're back in the room again. Yeah. It was that's not satisfactory for sure, but it mostly worked okay. We were both really um engaged and I think in some of the other lesser interactions than than a therapy interaction, like a meeting, for example. Yeah. Um I think it it shows its its lack even more strongly. Um it was one of the first meetings in my job I couldn't attend because I had COVID, funnily enough. Oh man. <laughs> Just in February there. And um so they they said, Oh, we'll zoom you in to the meeting and they had a massive screen on the wall. So I was like, I'm not putting my camera on uh. and be in an um, enormous face covid face on the wall oh no so i said i'm just going to keep my camera off because and i really might might as well have not been there yeah and they if they were facing away from me i couldn't hear them they had to speak directly to me really for me to be able to interact with them yeah so when it's just the two of you close to the camera interacting face to face i think it can you can still make it work yeah but it's definitely not the same as being in the same room
1: no, I have attended both work things and social things during the pandemic on yeah. Zoom, and when it was a group thing, like uh, oh my god, I I I think I didn't have the best attitude because I was like, this is going to be useless. What's the point? <laughs> and then so maybe I wasn't going in with you know a totally open mind, but it like I would compare it to like you know those glass bottom catamaran boats Mm -hmm. the tourists go on to look at like dolphins Yeah. so like the people on the boat are having a meeting and you're the dolphin under Mm -hmm. the catamaran and you're trying to contribute
0: yeah I definitely felt like the dolphin under the boat in that particular meeting and in the end I I kind of did that thing that you do on the phone where you go and then just cut it off I'm going into a tunnel I just hung up I went this is pointless me being here and hung up It's just too painful really I couldn't carry it on but um, to get back to the digital technology, we have actually talked loads in different episodes about the kinds of things that are classed as digital mental health interventions. Remember the infamous Headspace episode, Hannah?
1: Infamous is daubing me with a brush that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> I have not listened back to that episode in a while um, because occasionally when you mention it, you, have a, you do an eyebrow, which makes me think that my conduct was...
0: It was outrageous. Absolutely fine. I just like winding you up about it.
1: Well, I'm. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I'm incredibly easy to wind up. It's been <laughs> so pointed I, out actually. to me recently. Um, I hope I wasn't too harsh. I do have a habit of being really harsh about things, mm. and then forgetting entirely, and then people mention it to me later, and I'm like, me, <laughs> little old me. Whoops. Um. Well, I haven't had much further experience with uh the headspace like mm-hmm. myself. However, I'm glad you've brought it up because since that episode, I have had my largely negative outlook on Headspace in particular challenged massively mm-hmm. because my talented and proactive about her mental health girlfriend Ellie uses Headspace every single day, ah. every morning to meditate and she has done since 2020.
0: Oh, amazing. And
1: we have had many productive discussions about it. Cool. She has told me about how she uses it. Um it's like you know, as basic now as brushing her teeth.
0: Right. She okay. she
1: must do it, and um, she she has also told me about how she uh, makes herself do it if she doesn't want to. Right. In this, in the same way, you'd be like, oh, "I'll feel better after I do it. I'm going to go to the gym." Yeah. Even though you don't necessarily want to. About how she engages with it safely, mm-hmm. because she had some of the same concerns I did about feeling like, oh. This app doesn't make me feel any better. There must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Um, she's built a routine around it. Even. Um, she swears by it. So I mean, I my preconceptions have been well and truly challenged.
0: Oh, that's good. I do think it's always good to have your preconceptions challenged, for sure. In any way. Yeah. Um, I'm going to work on changing your mind about mindfulness next. Oh,
1: please. I, I'm nothing if not a work in progress.
0: Cool. Um, well, since that episode, I have learned so much more about mental health apps and things of that ilk. I've used the word ilk twice. I was in just this about episode. to say. What's going on there? Nobody knows. So <laughs> smartphone apps are becoming really common. There are still far fewer mental health apps than there are physical health apps. Mm. However... They are on the increase. So generally, these apps help users cope with symptoms, do things like visualizations or breathing exercises, that kind of thing. Also, there's more complex but abstract benefits, such as reducing their sense of loneliness or confusion, normalizing their condition, psychoeducation, essentially. Nice. Um, And also sometimes allowing them to share their stories or connect with practitioners, um, so there's both guided and unguided uh, mental health apps, which is one of the things that we talked about on the module. So the unguided are totally independent; the content is is almost fixed, but you can navigate through it in the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then guided apps are much more. Here's an exercise that you do, and then a practitioner will maybe contact you, or you can contact a practitioner, and they're much more. They're usually more associated with mental health trusts and, you know, healthcare providers rather than just on, you know, your app store or whatever. So, um, but there's a potential that these apps could also offer assistance to researchers and gathering data. Mm -hmm. So that could be interesting. I had heard about an app that was recently developed by a couple of Northern Irish guys and it's a suicide prevention app and they developed it in response to the really bad suicide rates in Northern Ireland. We have yes. really terrible suicide rates, particularly among young men. And I think perhaps due to some personal losses they suffered or in their community. So essentially the app is like has like a big red button on your phone. Um, and the idea is that someone in crisis might be able to pause and open the app and seek help rather than take their own life. It's called the Here to Help app. And even if you don't think you personally would need it, it can be good to have it on your phone if you were ever in a situation where you needed to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's basically a red button and a green button. And a red button is, I need help now. And the green button is, I have a problem that I need to talk about with somebody. Well, on that note, Uh I did
1: not tell you this before the episode, Mm -hmm. but I signed up for a trial for Mm -hmm. a similar app. It's not not based in Northern Ireland, but... um, I think it's, I think I got the email through, uh, like, people in university. Oh, Or someone was like, hello, we're a group of researchers because these are the kinds of emails that you and I get now. Um, And I checked that it was real as (laughs) well because I thought, hmm, hang on a moment. But it is real. Um, So it's a similar thing, except it's not really for crisis. It's Mm -hmm. like um, you get a short survey every week basically like the one that you get when you first attend counselling where it's like
0: All right, okay. um
1: degree 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 agree or disagree is what i'm trying <laughs> to say <laughs> agree or disagree um you know i have had little to no interest in doing things for the past week i have had uh restlessness or sleeping too little sleeping too much mm. other people have noticed my mood blah, blah blah the normal kinds of um questions that we're familiar with in when you're uh you know, you're getting a gauge of someone's overall mood, yeah. but you read it per week, mm-hmm. um, and they don't really do anything. They don't give you any feedback on your answers. You just kind of fill them it's in. Data collection, it's essentially data collection. For them. Oh, okay. and then, but you do have to put in a an emergency contact. So I think if your answers were consistently showing you to be in, like, emotional distress, okay, they yeah, would well probably they... contact your emotion, emergency contact. Yeah.
0: Really. You are Ethically. my emergency
1: contact for that, Aww. incidentally. So if you get a call, it's because I've been hitting the sad button on the app, on the data collection app. But I, I've been doing pretty good. I've been on holiday, so I'm feeling good.
0: I'm so touched by that, I have to tell you. Really? Um. Yeah. Do, do you know that you're my emergency contact for most things? No, I didn't know that. That's well, great. this and, is me telling you that. I mean, I do know that I tend to get contacted in emergencies. Yes. And I just thought it was a coincidence. <laughs> because people contact me in emergencies. I go, right, okay, drop everything, turn the cooker off, and off I go. Yeah, you're really good in an emergency. <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm necessarily good in an emergency, but I will take people to hospital really quickly. I get places fast, and I don't procrastinate about it.
1: That's what makes you so good in an emergency. Right, okay. <laughs> Those two things that you just said.
0: Well, that is an interesting, um, you know, app that they're they're developing. It sounds like data collection more than sort of assistance. But there's there's so many, there's such a range of them. There's uh, several apps that support people with addiction. I think there's one called I Am Sober, which is yes. pretty on the nose. Um, <laughs> and they offer different activities such as meditations, alcohol trackers, and visualizations. Again, AA has a twelve step app that follows the twelve step programme. In fact, I think there's more than one AA related app when I was looking them up. I think there was several.
1: I have another revelation for you.
0: Oh god. I app?
1: downloaded the <laughs> AA twelve step app oh, did you? when we were preparing for this episode. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I've been so disparaging about apps. Mm. And I'm gonna try and be friends with apps. And I've talked before in this podcast about my engagement with Al Anon, which mm-hmm. is part of the AA twelve step umbrella. Yeah. It's for people who have had um, a close or family relationship with someone suffering with alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, and so they don't have a dedicated Al Anon one because it's kind of more a, a group thing. Yeah. Um, but they use the same twelve steps. Oh right. Okay. So I have a twelve step app on my phone, which I have been looking at and mm. kind of. I'm not really doing the steps in yeah. an active way, in the way that people talk about. It. But I have gone on there and you get like a little daily kind of, um, you know, passage to read. And mm. I've been reading them and I have found it quite good. It's kind of, I was feeling like I wanted to go back to Alan on meetings. Uh huh. Um, but my life is very busy. It is
0: extremely busy. And I have
1: yet to find an evening that's free where there is a meeting on. Yeah. So I was like, hey what's this app? Mm -hmm. Let me engage with apps. Yeah. And I have found that very useful. It's made me feel like, you know, I'm keeping, I'm keeping it active. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not attending the meetings. But it's on your mind. In a regimented way. I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to keep it on the back burner. Yeah. So to speak. So that has been quite good. Um... So those are my surprise app engagements Thank that I've done you
0: for that. Um, I think that you might have touched on a point why one of the reasons why people might engage with apps in that way, in that it's a sort of a light touch mm. mental health intervention. Often, we'll come back to that later. I think, but um, I just just as you were talking there, I realised we have been we have been so busy that we have struggled to um, record and things like that and get together. We just tried to organise. Um, bridesmaid dress shopping, yes. and we're unable to fit it in this week, and I have to go for yeah. next week. But also, another thing that happened was I ha- was using an app on my phone. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Fabulous. It has very beautiful um, artwork design on oh, it. God. It's a sort of a productivity app, but it's also to get you to have healthier habits like drinking water. Basically, you set your own goals drinking water, doing exercise in the morning, walking. Um, it, it was trying so hard to get me engaged in a daily meditation and I just hadn't quite got that far yet. <laughs> but um, the problem was is that I then put my phone in the toilet.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot that you did yeah. that. You did that so, and then you also broke your ankle.
0: So, yeah, the thing that happened was I was we were moving house And getting ready to go away for a festival and planning our wedding. Which was enough things to be doing at one go. It's quite a lot of stuff. And I, happy as Larry about how productive I was, skipped out the front door. Not literally, but that was my whole mood. Up, Stepped out the front door. Went over my ankle in an extremely bad way. It was pretty bad. And uh, instantly fell to the ground screaming and swearing in front of all the neighbours. Shouting for Marty and thought for sure I had broken my ankle. um, And the x-ray the next day said I hadn't, which is great. It's still really annoying me several weeks later, but it's not broken, so I'll yeah. just try and... Like, I can't run. I tried to jog across the road today at the lights, and it was, no, Don't not do happening that. at all.
1: And then I did... I made you go out dancing for your hand party. That was
0: fine. I had drunk enough Prosecco for it to be okay. It's fine. But anyway, um, I then later that night because I couldn't put any weight on my um, foot at all, I had hopped into the bathroom, get ready for (laughs) bed with my broken ankle, it's okay, and promptly dropped my phone in the toilet. Nice. That was annoying, and it meant that I lost a lot of my apps. Now, the phone actually did recover. I put it in a box. Here's a tip, top tip for anybody who drops their phone in water. I know all the iPhones are fucking waterproof now, alright. But I'm a mine Samsung isn't. person. Apparently all the iPhones are waterproof now. You can drop them in the sea or whatever. <sighs> um mine isn't waterproof, but I put it I got it out quickly. That was the first thing. Dried it generally obviously. Um it looked like it was okay and then it slowly started to go <laughs> broken. Gragly, gragly. and I put it in a box with lots of little silica packets. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if anybody's collected the silica packets out of the um, COVID tests, but they have them there. I haven't been collecting there. them
1: personally. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put them all in a bowl and eat them like
0: cereal. No, it says do not eat. But I want to. <laughs> so, um, and it worked a couple of days in the, it worked? In the box of silica couple packets. of days? Yeah, a couple of days. And it worked.
1: you're a stronger man than I because the only time I've ever dropped my phone in the toilet I was like this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a person and I put my phone in, in rice like they say to do Yeah. but I was so intense about it that I only left it in for like 40 minutes and <laughs> obviously the phone never recovered and then my housemates were like you need to leave it in for like a week you mm. ding dong
0: yeah. so
1: don't do what I did
0: No, do what so I did the thing about but- that app then is when my phone did kind of recover, but I'd already switched my SIM into another it's quite smashed up phone actually as well, <laughs> but um and I haven't gotten around to switching it back again. Occasionally the app I can see a notification saying come back, we miss you <laughs> how are you doing are you okay I'm like yeah, I'm fine I don't have time for a productivity app yeah. i really, really busy but those are just some of the recommendations of apps that you could find. It is good to get a recommendation of something like maybe from a um, mental health website like Mind or you know um, a, a counselling group website or something like that rather than just scrolling the app store for mm. various different things. You might have a lot of misses before you get a hit and that kind of thing. But yeah. you can try it too as well. We talked about that in our self-help episode as well.
1: Um, I know I'm so boring with my repeated use of caveats on this podcast Emma but I can't Mm. not say it there will be people for whom these things work brilliantly and there will be people for whom those apps and online programs etc are alienating and disorientating both are 100% valid
0: Absolutely. And this is what I was saying we would come back to later. So I don't think these apps should necessarily be a first step for anyone starting a journey of trying to improve their mental health or get sober. I think the traditional route should be tried first, unless you want to just dip your toe in Cher's Pond, which is a phrase Hannah used on the last episode. And I am (laughs) peeping.
1: I have no possible idea what that could have been about but continue
0: it was about how if you wanted to um dip your toe into twitter you could dip your toe into (laughs) shares pond float of twitter i think is what you said (laughs) yes that is what you're like
1: thank you so much (laughs) and thank you for tolerating me
0: (laughs) so if you just wanted to dip your toe in shares pond then you can give an app a go it's a soft touch, isn't it? It's a soft yeah, I like touch way of,
1: idea of it being a soft touch yeah. a good. I hadn't considered that before.
0: um with regard to digital technology interventions, I recently got connected with a researcher who is an expert in this area called Dr. Becky Inkster who unfortunately actually met a little too late to have her on this episode, but she's an amazing person. She's a neuroscientist who Mm. is passionate about digital interventions and mental health. I don't know what she'll think about this episode, Hannah. Um, (laughs) She's into social media data analysis, molecular biology, neuroimaging. So she would have been amazing to inform both of these episodes that we've had about social media and digital technology. But instead, we're just going to have to have her on another time to talk in more depth about her innovative approaches to using digital technology. Um, And she uses that to engage hard to reach and disadvantaged groups. Becky. She is co-founder along with Dr. Akeem Sewell of Hip Hop Psych. Yeah, you told me about this. This is I Love It So Much, which is an initiative that's exploring the relationship between hip hop and mental health. And you'll like this, Hannah. They use a biopsychosocial lens to dissect the lyrics of hip hop tracks. I love and
1: a biopsychosocial lens. I know, you, I knew you would. It's my thing.
0: Hannah, I did not realise how much I needed this in my life. I'm going to get it. I've always enjoyed hip-hop, the passion, you know, the drama, and also the rhythm and the beat and everything. So, um, And it's poetry, isn't it, you know? So I think it would be amazing to talk to her in more depth about this in a future episode. Um, I think this approach that they've developed, and I'm now fully obsessed with it, by the way, if anyone listening is interested, you can check out their website, hiphoppsych.co.uk it's some of the best fun I've had with psychology in a long time to be honest nice. it's really good we should we should check it out together but Becky is also interested in how social networks social media sites um, and things like that can give us insight into mental health conditions so how we can use social media and digital technology basically to intervene in mental health conditions mm-hmm. I mean we have this big huge resource that isn't going anywhere It would be good if we could try to capitalise it on on it for the betterment of everyone's mental health. Yeah. So anyway, we will definitely talk to her again. Becky. She's amazing. Please be on our podcast. Yeah, I I think she will when she has time. Will she listen to this? I don't know. It makes me
1: nervous to think she would. Would we send it to her? Well, I I am now nervous about things that I've said in this recording, knowing that she might listen to it.
0: We always listen back and edit it. So if we hear you go... Take the out digital technology rubbish. <laughs> then
1: we'll take, take that out, out right. all the stupid things I've said. Hannah, yeah,
0: I have a question for you. Okay. So, what is your biggest worry about counselling and/or therapy being delivered via Zoom instead of face-to-face?
1: Okay, I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. My number one concern would be—I'm sure I've said this before—what is missed out on when using Zoom or any online platform? Not really worried so much about the annoyances like we were talking about earlier, like freezing, Wi-Fi problems, blah, blah, blah. That's all just bread and butter. Yeah. For particularly vulnerable people entering the therapy room, there's always going to be the aspect of a physical human presence that cannot be emulated via any online platform. Yeah. And that's kind of my bottom line. Mm -hmm. I have struggled with that. Um. I know that it isn't as big a priority for some, so it's not like crucial. Mm -hmm. Like as we know, you can deliver therapy and counselling remotely. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing I would be worried about, I I think I was chatting about this earlier, but I am worried that there's potential for a client to be very engaged while in session Mm -hmm. remotely. And then there's the potential to leave the meeting, close the laptop, suddenly be alone in a very quiet, empty room. Yeah. That you were just in connection with with a person, and the the leaving the exiting process I think is quite important. Mm. How you exit uh the therapy room will be different to how you you know hit that red hang up button on zoom, mm. and it's less of a process, even though it's doesn't seem like a massive thing. I think the point where your therapist says, "Oh well, you know, so that's the end of our session today. They see you out. You say goodbye, you're waving to a human person. There's a transition there. There's a transition. It's like going into a little vestibule where you're like, okay, I'm about to re enter the world, Uh the real world. Depressurization
0: chamber. Depressurization
1: chamber, yes. Like a sci fi film. Yeah. (laughs) You do not get that with Sim. It's suddenly like, just bye. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: my experience of that, especially during the pandemic, was just suddenly being plunged into deafening silence Mm. of my house, my big empty house, where I was like, oh, okay, so yeah. what to do with the next seven hours of the day and how to kind of, there's no journey home. Mm. Um, Like I came here today from therapy mm-hmm. and I had two buses yeah. during which I just sort of kind of stared into space. And I think the things that, uh, you know, I will have discussed things in the session that are going to like filtrate through my little brain sponge yeah. and work themselves out in there. And I
0: think that is best aided by movement. Yeah, I do think so. And I think a, the bus actually is a really good way. It's a good a wee, see place a wee to wee think. A journey yeah. after mm-hmm. therapy is we
1: journey, tip top. journey. wee journey. home. We journey <laughs> wee journey somewhere else. Because your body is engaged and just kind of getting you somewhere. Your mind can kind of be like, mm-hmm. right, you know, walkie, walkie, walk legs. Yeah. Get yourself on the bus. You're on autopilot in that sense. And you can kind of let things gently filter in there like fish food. Yeah, Do you know what I mean by fish food? I do know what you mean Spring by fish gold. food. It
0: was... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's potential to suddenly be um, to feel the contrast between being in session and being alone in life somehow heightened. Mm. So that is uh, just something I've thought about. It's not a huge concern because I know that not everyone is as cinematic and emo as me <laughs> about stuff like that. But, you know, um, yeah, there's there's a there's a question around um, each individual person's own preferences around transitioning from being in therapy mode to being in just real-life mode. Yeah. And um, that's going to necessarily be different when it's delivered remotely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of sensitive and intuitive practitioners and people I know would agree with you. The human contact is doing something in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and I I do think that that transition, um, you know, whenever I was having the Zoom therapy, I would rush up the stairs to to get the laptop ready in time mm-hmm. so that I could be in the bedroom because that would be the quietest place and the place I was least likely to be disturbed by children and dogs. Yeah, <laughs> and. I would get the session and then as soon as the session was done, I'd be like, right, okay, what do I need to do? I need to go and break up that fight. I need to go and check the dog hasn't done something downstairs or whatever. And so there wasn't really an an opportunity for me to phase in and out of the sessions in Mm -hmm. a way that is probably better, is more productive. But nevertheless, I got a lot out of it. So um, if you had have said that your number one concern was, I'm worried it won't work as well, Hmm. <laughs> I would have been able to answer that I, question.
1: I, I'm sorry that I did not say that, but I That's actually okay. don't think that it's not going to work as well. Yeah. I think it's going to be different.
0: Well, I, you know how I like to have the research and the evidence to back that up. So I... Um, can share a number of research studies with you that might hopefully reassure you. I wish you would. um, With your concern that doesn't exist. (laughs) For example, um, a paper by Ian McGowan. So I worked with him in Queens. He was a module coordinator of one of the mental health nursing ones. And he published a paper in 2021, which was therefore obviously focused on remote delivery of EMDR, actually, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm EMDR! So we know that EMDR, along with the multiple other interventions moved to online remote delivery so they wanted to establish if it was still having positive effects on the patient. So this was a reasonable size study it was 33 therapists providing data on 93 clients and trauma both simple and complex was the most common reason for seeking help. And what they found was that there was a significant and clinically important reduction in the scores across a number of clinical assessment tools. does that mean? Meaning that their trauma symptoms reduced and they had an improvement in their symptomology. Nice. So this research showed that remotely delivered EMDR was effective in this study at reducing symptoms of trauma, anxiety and depression.
1: Does that mean that it's as effective as in person? Or that's not what They didn't do measured? a
0: comparative study. Okay. So... You know, they were just checking to see if it was effective and Mm -hmm. it was effective based on those measurement tools that they used. Nice. Now, I do remember saying to you when we talked about this before on the podcast, you can't deliver EMDR remotely. However, apparently you can and apparently it still works. So
1: for anyone listening who did not hear our previous episode on EMDR, which, go back and listen to that please, that EMDR therapy is EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and and it has been around since around the 1980s it is usually used to treat um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and um, it involves so in a face-to-face setting it involves the therapist sitting directly across from the uh, client and doing some kind of what they call bilateral stimulation. So it's either a hand moving so that the patient's eyes follow back and forth. Or that can be done with like a light bar. The little light moves rapidly back and forth. Or it can be done where the client holds two things, any uh, thing in each hand. And it's like a little light buzz. So they feel the vibrations. Or it can be like uh, tapping on the client's hands. Basically any kind of stimulation of either side of the body mm-hmm um and that's what that is and um i have done emdr for about two years mm-hmm. cool so just in case anyone was like
0: what's emdr no that's helpful thank why you. are they
1: just saying that it like it's a thing EMDR, i know
0: MDR, MDR. emdr um one of the main issues i thought about delivering it remotely was how you would do the bilateral stimulation yeah. basically so apparently it can be adapted and in a paper by Mischler et al in 2021 they evaluated what they refer to as eemdr which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue guys i've <laughs> got to say sorry um but they were looking at how therapists overcame the practical issues of the bilateral stimulation which is a fundamental part of it obviously yeah so when they surveyed the therapists, they found that 52 percent of practitioners used bilateral stimulation via eye movements and that about 36 it was via tapping, 36% it was via tapping, and a smaller amount was via both modes. So they would use um, their their finger moving across the screen or a light bar or an eye scan. Um, actually, less often therapists guided patients with their fingers, which I was surprised about because I presumed that therapists would be most likely to use the low-tech version. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously a light bar is a piece of technology that DR therapists have anyway. So. Yeah.
1: I think s- several things about that, I'll tell you them. Okay. Um. Because when you said in that previous episode, obviously you can't deliver EMDR remotely, mm-hmm. my immediate thought was not that that would be because of this bilateral stimulation question. Right. My immediate thought was because there is the potential for people to become extremely emotionally distressed yes. during EMDR. Yeah. And I would have imagined that that would be too great a risk to deliver yeah. remotely because... There, you know, it, it's a very, um, it can be an extremely trying process. Yeah. Um, and in my own experience, there have been sessions when I have had to, it's the kind of thing where my therapist would say, you know, make sure you've got someone to pick you up after. Don't go yes. home on the bus.
0: Yeah, but like like a dental anaesthetic,
1: that yeah, kind of thing. because you'll be exhausted, you'll be woozy. Mm-hmm. I'm making it sound like they, you know, zap you <laughs> with electrodes or something, but it's not like that, but it's just... It's, it's quite physically, emotionally taxing. Yeah, well, I think um, there
0: probably is a clinical choice involved in that in terms of yeah, which would patients so. would receive it and which patients wouldn't receive it remotely. Mm, so. Yeah,
1: I actually hadn't thought about the, the kind of therapist discretion as to who they can offer mm. their remote option to. So that was my first thing mm-hmm. that I thought. And my second thing that I thought was having done... Oh, I've obviously only done EMDR in person... Mm-hmm. Having done it in person, uh I find it hard to imagine the hand method mm-hmm. working as well as something like a light bar uh-huh. because you can adapt like a light display much better yeah. to be displayed on someone's laptop or phone. Yeah. Um it's gonna be much more reliable, it's gonna be in the same place. If the therapist is doing the hand movement, where mm-hmm. for example they move their hand just in front of your um, I so that you follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot more room for like human error. They could, you know, their arm could get tired and they could lag, and then you wouldn't be able to see it. That's going to interrupt the flow of the session. And yeah. It's also done quite quickly. EMDR, so like, um, the the bursts of the hand movement could be between ten to thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Then you pause, yeah. then go again. Yeah. So that would be if that was interrupted. I feel like the effectiveness would
0: be massively reduced. Definitely. And that was used least of all, the the hand movement. Yeah, I find that interesting. But it's just because I always imagine therapists as, you know, middle-aged and up white women (laughs) who are traditionally not that good at technology. So having to adapt to Zoom and also getting these other bits of technology, for me... I My feeling is that technology gets in the way of the therapeutic process because the therapeutic process is two humans connecting mm. to each other. So the bottom line is it's great that these ways exist, that we can be, you know, if we have COVID or or we've got a pandemic, that we can continue our therapy. But ultimately, we're trying to do it just so the two humans can connect. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, that I learned that from all my middle-aged white um Therapists. Those and are the only therapists that, that, I, that I I've had. had.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to challenge you there and be like, well, they're not all wh- my white women, but you know, as a white woman, I've mostly had white.
0: Women yeah, I've only has middle-aged white female therapists. No, I've had one man. Didn't didn't last very long though. Sorry to all those men out there. It's just not for me,
1: Emma. Um. I am happy to hear those good numbers
0: That's because good.
1: Yeah. I'm a believer in EMDR as we no, know. Yeah. I love the ingenuity that people have obviously been putting into developing online, online delivery because mm-hmm. it's quite powerful, I think. Um, and also people who suffer from post-traumatic stress are more likely to be isolated. Yeah. it's kind of goes with the territory of having PTSD. So mm-hmm. remote delivery being uh, developed for
0: people to increase access, that is a beautiful notion. Yes. The one last bit about that research because they did in by virtue of doing this study they find that um the eye movement reduced the subjective unit of disturbance which is what they were measuring it based on more strongly than tapping. Mm. Um, and the other thing that they found in this research was something that we've talked about numerous times: was that the therapists reported a lot of practical problems with conducting therapy remotely, yeah. including an unstable internet connection on both sides potentially. And some therapists indicated that their patients had refused online-based therapy, um, and many of them were dissatisfied with the lack of personal contact. So. Yeah. You know, those are things that we've brought up along the way. And I definitely think that there are issues to be considered. Um, You know, it's great that we have it, but there's definitely downsides to it. I haven't gone into all the downsides around, you know, confidentiality and things like that. But Yes, that's another,
1: that's a whole other episode, I reckon. It
0: is a whole, well, well, we'll see. Yeah, we should go into confidentiality at some point. It's kind of boring, isn't it? I mean, did we do procedures at one point? I think we did. And It's hard to make them fun and sexy for the I know, audience. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're fun and sexy. So, if you want us to do an episode sexy.
1: about confidentiality, you tweet at us. Vote here. Vote at confidentiality.biz.vote. Mm-hmm. So, Hannah, we have something now, don't we? We have a thing. Uh, we have a problem from a listener. Awesome! Thank you, listeners, for sending in your problems. Yay! We're Please back
0: at it, baby. Continue to
1: do so because, really, we are nothing without you. You're the lifeblood of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That's not true. Emma is the lifeblood of this podcast she does most of the work. Aww. Um, you ready for this problem? Um, I find this question very touching. Hmm. Mm. Um. So they write, I have a strained relationship with my father. He is not physically or verbally abusive, but is often neglectful of me and has been throughout my life. Our conversations continuously focus on him and his problems, making me feel that I am the one parenting him and I often feel drained. I have brought this up to him several times and have tried to be active in my part of our relationship. But after numerous conversations, little has changed. I leave our interactions feeling worse than when I entered and we have now descended into no contact. He continues to call but I don't answer as I don't know what else I can say. I miss him dearly but I don't know what to do next. That is very touching. It's It's very sad. sad. It's really sad.
0: Yeah. um, So there's a couple of things that jump out at me I Mm -hmm. would say. So first of all um, this sense of parentification so whenever you feel that the roles have reversed and that you are the parent and the the parent is acting as the child um, it's most difficult for for children mm-hmm. this is obviously an adult person because their vocabulary is such that they are definitely grown yeah um they're grown they are grown yeah <laughs> that's sure but so you know an adult relationship with a parent is is a difficult one you know whenever we're young our parents are gods essentially um they can do no wrong then as we're teenagers um we start to separate from them and some of us go through a phase where we think our parents are complete idiots which yeah. I did. I did. I went through a number of years just thinking they were total idiots, which they weren't at all. It was yeah. just I was just being that's a teenager. normal
1: for teenagers, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And then if you're lucky in your 20s, you sort of come back into a relationship which um, is both can be both good and irritating. You <laughs> know, so, you know, it's a particular type of relationship. It's dif- difficult to navigate. But ultimately, the parent always should remain the parent. It's their role to support the child throughout their life. It's a lifelong thing that we do for our children, you know. So this listener is saying that the conversations focus on him and his problems, um, making me feel that I'm the one parenting him and I often feel drained. Um, So obviously that's not good. That's somebody that is, if that was any kind of relationship, a friendship, a romantic relationship, if one person is um, focusing on themselves, and you leave an interaction feeling drained, that's not a good mm-hmm. interaction. Um, now, my first thing would always be to say, try to address it with the person. And I know they have said, that I've brought like this they up several done. times, um, and after numerous conversations, little has changed. Mm-hmm. Because often when you bring this up with somebody, I mean, you'll get different reactions depending on the personality. If somebody's doing this consistently, often you won't get a very good reaction. But sometimes the person can be confronted by their behaviour and say, oh, I didn't realise I'm going to try and change. That's your number one thing that you want to happen. That's yeah. really positive if that happens. Um, then alternatively, they might react really defensively. Yeah. They might be cross. But... Um, Sometimes people will react defensively initially when you challenge them on their behaviour, and then they'll go away and think about it, and they'll come back and say, "Actually, I thought about what you said, and I have some things." If you have talked to somebody several times and they have been unable to, um, I mean, if this was a client, I would be asking how, what I would be asking details about the interactions. Yeah. So how did that go? How did you approach it? You know, what were the, you know what specifically were you trying to address and how did they react and things like that to see if there was maybe an option for another interaction that could be helpful. We don't have that information, sadly. No, no, but I'm just saying if it was a client, one of the things that we always say when you're working in a a role with people who are coming to you, not an advice role, but a counselling role where people are coming with family problems, say, Mm -hmm. for example, people will often say, I've tried everything. Yeah. Right. And the first question is to say, well, what what have you tried? Mm-hmm. Because often you find out they haven't tried anything, everything, yeah, or they've yeah, yeah. tried something once, and when it hasn't worked, they they, they stop trying it, sort mm-hmm. of thing. So that's the first thing to explore with people: what what have you tried, and you know what did that look like? Um. So yeah, I mean, there's there's, I do think there's a possibility for reconciliation because there is. Um, you know, positive sentiment there about missing yeah, Well, that's the what I was going
1: to say. Like, the writer in her sounds like they they wouldn't be writing in if they were like, I don't care about this. Yes. Um, I, I'm not interested in speaking to him anymore, mm-hmm. which would be a very different message, I yeah. think. And um, the other thing that I would, the, the other thing that I pick up on from this is I leave our interactions feeling worse. Yeah and they say we have now descended into no contact which suggests Mm. that that's not their choice yeah which is sad as well so i don't know the thing because i'm maybe relating to this slightly differently than you because i have an estrangement with the parent Mm -hmm. so my view of this will be quite particular Mm. but um I relate to a lot of this, of feeling like you're the one parenting them, feeling drained. Mm-hmm. Um, the no contact thing is, is quite difficult. Um, But I also feel really bad for this person because it sounds like they are trying hard and they're not being able to get through to the person. Yeah. To be like, this is what I would like from you. Yeah. Um, And that is very painful. But also because I love to... Say both sides of the thing. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes you do find in relationships, any kind of relationship, that you will see a solution a lot quicker than the other person. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. You can often find yourself over-explaining or re-explaining. Mm-hmm. And at, at a certain point, you kind of go... They're going to have to find that out for themselves as if it's new information. Yes. They're not going to be able to hear it from me for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. We don't really know what that reason is. They're going to have
0: to mansplain that to themselves before they will actually recognise that it's a true thing. Yes.
1: And I've done this in the past. I think we've all done it where you go, oh my God, you know what I realised? And the person you're saying this to is like, are you serious? I have told you that so many times. And you're like, me? What? You've never told (laughs) me this. Because we like to think that we are, you know the discoverers of all new information and it's so irritating when you're on the other side of it and it's bewildering when you're on the side where you're like what did you did you tell me that oh i just i thought i had found that out for myself yeah um but i think the point of all of that is to say sometimes you have to a wait Mm -hmm. for people to kind of up to where you are mm-hmm. and go oh right oh i see what they mean now oh they've stopped responding to me right okay this must be quite serious yeah let me think back to the last time i spoke to them what was that like that could take a while and you can't really while. control
0: that in other people you can't and you do hope that they are self-reflective enough to for the penny to drop eventually yeah. and i do i believe personally that most people are yeah like and i know that i'm an optimist in that way, but I do believe that most people will be able to modify their behavior and they will be able to recognize things that they're doing. Um, I mean, parental estrangement or estrangement in families like this is really, really common. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something like one in five families in the UK. Uh-huh, really? It's really, really common. So this I did person not is, know not, that. is not alone in, in having this experience. And actually, what they describe. Um, is a common way in which it happens. So it happens gradually rather than dramatically mm, often. Mm-hmm. So it's just slowly, slowly you have less and less contact until it sort of feels like, oh I don't really know how to get this contact yeah. back now. Oh, um and one in five. One in five, yeah. And um the most common reason stated by the adult children is emotional abuse in childhood or, you know, which mm. might progress carry on into adulthood and you know i'm not saying that that's what's happening here but there's the the sense of feeling drained and leaving and leaving interactions feeling worse that's not what anybody wants yeah. it's it's a drain of your energy isn't it it's it's an impact it's a negative impact on you in a relationship that you would ideally want to be a positive impact on you yeah for both parties um, the other thing I was thinking was um, because they're saying, you know, I miss him dearly and I don't know what to do next. You know, the the first option is that you do try and address it again mm. and that you um, maybe try a different tack. So you think back through how you have addressed it previously. Was it in the heat of an argument? You know, mm-hmm. what what particular part of the um the difficulties did you address and see if you can take a different approach with it. Maybe get a supporter on board. So maybe get somebody w- with you and linking to that, if you did want to carry on interactions in future, change how they happen. So mm-hmm. have somebody with you, whether it be a friend or a partner, um, do the do the interactions out in public, like do an activity rather than just go around and hang out and have a cup of tea. Oh yeah, interesting. that might be the way in the which focus. you... That might be their zone in which they go oh now is my time that I can offload mm-hmm. onto my you know child. Yeah. Um, if you change it to let's go bowling or we'll go for a meal maybe it changes it slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are ways that you can keep interactions but you have to Make boundaries yeah. around those interactions, and you can control how the interactions, what format they take, maybe.
1: I think this highlights our, you know, the way we often answer the questions dramatic in dramatically different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, because my uh, my response would be, it sounds like you've all, you've done enough. Mm. But maybe I'm speaking as an adult child who's estranged from a parent because. Um, you know, sometimes you have to meet people where they are and sometimes that looks like not meeting them at all. Sure. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because, I, I don't know, like, I'm I'm picking up a frustration here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and having been there before, I think there often is a point where you kind of go, I have equipped them with all the information and tools that I can. I've given them all the info and... I'm just gonna have to wait for that to settle, yeah. and I'm gonna let them come to me. Yeah, and I think there can be a there. There's a kind of a, not that this is necessarily a fight or a battle, but there can be a kind of power in that mm-hmm. because a lot of the time, I think when people are, um, you know, struggling with something like that, they can't quite get someone to see their way. You you get into this loop of over explaining, and it's almost like you're kind of you're losing a bit of yourself or you're you're kind of feeling it can feel like undignified as if you're kind of pleading with someone to like please understand this Mm -hmm. and i don't think at a certain point that is effective anymore
0: no it's not it's it's never effective like that's an ineffective way to try and communicate with somebody and i think you're right that um when if you've if you've entered into that if you find yourself going down that line there's sometimes where the person is never gonna pick up on what you're putting out for yeah. sure. Um I am not and I wouldn't disagree with what you were saying. I would only say that there's a, a possibility there and because of their desire or their I mean, I pick up a desire mm. to resolve the situation by the fact that they miss the person. Yeah, you know, oh definitely and that they don't know what to do next. Yeah. yeah. So if their their um if their final sentence was I miss them dearly, but I just can't continue this relationship any longer. Mm, that's very different. I would different, have a very it? different view of that. Yeah, yeah. If they are looking for a possibility, I think a possibility still exists. But there's maybe only a couple more times that you're going to potentially try that mm-hmm. before you go. You know, actually, I have to. Yeah. I have yeah. to let this go now.
1: But yeah, I don't know. I think. I know. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I do also very firmly believe in the power of silence speaking for itself a lot of the time mm. which it sounds like has happened um, willingly or otherwise but writer inner you sound really clever
0: We yeah you sound extremely clever but we also um, we wish you all the best with this and hope it does resolve to a satisfactory way the thing is we will at some epi- some point do an episode about parents and I'm saving some of my big stuff that I have to say about it
1: cliffhanger
0: but the main thing is is that people don't become parents because they're good at it and yeah. people don't become parents because they're you know healthy well-functioning psychologically you know normal people and so the problem with that is is that you then have to interact with somebody who's potentially difficult we choose our friendships and we choose our relationship interactions but we don't necessarily choose no we don't we don't at all choose our familial <laughs> it's relationships it's literally
1: impossible yeah Um Georgia Hardstark of our mutual favourite podcast My Favourite yes. Murder Think recommends- about her daily me too it was her birthday recently she has recommended this book before, and I have seen it recommended loads of places. I think I might buy us a copy uh-huh. to have in the podcast library, yes. which is in development. Mm-hmm. It's called "Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents." Oh yes, she has mentioned how that, to yeah. heal from distant, rejecting, or self-involved parents, and it's by Lindsay
0: C. Gibson.
1: Top so I think I might get recommendation
0: back. there for our our writer inner.
1: Um, writer inner, take care of yourself. Yes,
0: take care and... Um, Thank you for writing in. We literally love you. Yes, we literally love all of you listeners. We are going to have to um, finish this episode now because I'm rapidly developing some kind of virus. Oh, my good have God. I to go to my bed. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it never <laughs> rains, but it pours. No, it's fine. We've got quite a lot of stuff um, on in the next number of weeks. I'm
1: attending maybe 18 weddings in the next three weeks. <laughs> One of which is yours.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's my wedding and my house renovations and my, you know, job that are causing me to stay up all night. Anyway, um, but we do have a couple of episodes to get out and we have a couple of quite interesting um, episodes left to record and bring to you, to your ear holes, delivered right to your ear holes. Thanks
1: for your patience because we fell off the podcasting bouncy castle in quite a dramatic way yeah
0: we got on it and we literally bounced straight
1: back i'm so sorry it was like we bounced off into orbit and we're returning now so thanks for being nice about that literally nobody said anything mean about it so thank you very much but we you know we don't want you to think that we don't give a shit because we we do
0: we do give a shit it's just we were so busy it was impossible to also podcast. Yeah, we don't get paid for this at, at all, guys. Mm, not no. at all. So you know, and um, we have to do it in our spare times. As
1: it costs, it actually costs Emma money because mostly she will buy me a pizza every time <laughs> we
0: record. <laughs> Cost me <laughs> several pizzas a month, actually. So thanks, Emma. Thanks, Hannah.
1: Thanks, thanks,
0: thanks therapy. Theme tune this The theme time? Early? Early times. Why not keep okay. it fresh. There
1: we go. Emma, thank you. (laughs) No problem. What?